I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Welcome to LiveWire Radio. My name is Luke Burbank. I am backstage right now at the Bumbershoot Music and Arts Festival in Seattle, Washington. And we have such a cool show coming up for you. We've got the brilliant Tim Egan stopping by. He's a Pulitzer Prize winner. He writes for the New York Times. We've also got the hilarious Liz Winstead making an appearance. She was one of the co-founders of The Daily Show. And uh, our musical act is a band called Hey Marseille. And as it happens, they are playing right outside of this dressing room. I'm going to stick this recorder out the window. Maybe you'll be able to hear it. All right, that was a pretty terrible idea. I'm almost sure that wasn't useful. But here's the thing. We're going to bring them inside, and we're going to record them properly, and we're going to play it all for you coming up. From PRI Public Radio International, it's... Recorded in front of a live audience at Lumbershoot in Seattle, Washington, it's LiveWire, the daily show co-founder Liz Winston, New York Times writer Tim Egan, comedian Alex Edelman, with music from Hey Marseille, and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of LiveWire, the last time he played Bumbershoot was as the keyboardist for the emo Scott Wilco, cover band, my morning sweet jacket, Luke Burbank! Thank you, thank you, thank you, announcer Jason Rouse. Thanks to all of you for coming out here at the Bumbershoot Music and Arts Festival in Seattle, Washington. Uh, we are uh, talking about tough calls this hour, that those moments in your life when you don't exactly know what to do and you find yourself in kind of a dilemma. I just had one happen in the elevator at the hotel, which I'll talk about in a minute. First, I want to welcome to the show a good friend of mine, an old radio buddy, and an all-around amazing person. Jen Andrews is with us today. Hello. How is the uh, festival treating you so far? Actually, I think it's going pretty well, except for that I keep seeing that, thinking that I see Ellie Goulding. A lot of people oddly look like Ellie Goulding, but aren't her. I'll just tell you that right now. Uh, how many people have you approached thinking they were Ellie Goulding, only to find they weren't? Well, I thankfully haven't ever actually said, 
Ellie Goulding. I've done more of the you walk up and then you're like, oh, there's my friend. And then you do the sharp turn yeah. and go that way. But seven times, okay. maybe. That seems high. <laughs> I know. I maybe well, get a I picture blame the fedoras, yeah. by the way. Everyone in a fedora looks like Ellie Goulding. Really? That's a you tip. might be thinking of Carmen Sandiego. <laughs> it's a common mistake. Um, I just had a, a bit of a, an incident at the hotel where we're all staying. Um, I got into the elevator and immediately realized that there was, in that elevator, sort of a pre-existing condition of smell <laughs> that somebody had left behind. And, um, person? Uh, I a person assume smell. It, okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it could have also been a farm animal. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what happened between floors 0 okay. and 16. I got on at 17. And there was just sort of a cloud in there and no person. And I was grossed out, as you might imagine, and I, I thought, who would do that? And then I remembered me occasionally. <laughs> like, I have done that before. I thought, well, the good news is I will bear this burden myself. I will ride down to the lobby of the Westin and just, you know, handle it. Own it? I, yeah, I just, you know, um, smell like nobody's watching. Sure, sure. So one of my life mottos. <laughs> and we, I went about two floors and the elevator stopped. And now I had a real tough call because I knew people were going to get in the elevator. Mm -hmm. And was I going to just pretend like nothing was amiss, or was I going to call attention to it, potentially seeming even more crazy? Could you just have the two options? One is to say, sorry, I had a burger earlier, or the other is to say, I promise it wasn't me. Those are I, your only I didn't options. even think about the idea of giving a backstory on the smell. <laughs> that's, a really, that's really a third way. Uh, oh, I, what was, yeah. I don't even know, what, what are you going to do? Just act like it's not happening? Well, that's what I ended up doing, and there was four people getting into the elevator. First three walk in, and they were seemingly oblivious, and the fourth person that comes in is a woman with red hair and sunglasses, and she kind of just looks like, really, dude? <laughs> and then I look at her like, really, dude? Because I realize she is one of the actors from the TV show The Office. Oh. Because everybody at the festival is staying in this hotel. So now the lady from the office thinks I just whizzed a real smoker in that elevator. <laughs> <laughs> but I was committed to my, you know, sort Owning of uh, vow of silence. So I just kept my head down, rode the rest of the way down. And then as she got out and sort of walked away, she looked back like, that guy has problems. You know what? That's on her. Really? Do you think I handled that well? Well, I think the fact that you got in the elevator, it smelled that bad, and you just decided to be like, yep, this is where I am, this is my life. Yeah. You know, people should actually, hats off, I say. I've been working in therapy on how to be more present. Yeah. That was, I was being radically present in that moment in that elevator. Yeah. Because I think I would have been more like every person who got on, can you believe this? I mean, what do you think even happened here? What is going on? Was it a murder? Yeah. <laughs> All right, well that, I would have been overly verbal. That makes me feel better. Um, Jen, I know that you, you're actually, as we speak, you're in the midst of a tough call. Yeah, I, well, it shouldn't have been. I have a dog named Boo Bear, and he's behaving like an only child, and I thought he needed a sibling. And I saw that the local Humane Society was going to have three puppies up for adoption. Um, people get, they, they adopt the puppies out at 11 a.m. So I got there about 9.50 so I got in line, and there was a little bit of a line, and the woman next to me, in front of me in line, turned to me and said, what are you here for? And I said, one of the puppies? She goes, you're in luck. He's here for a husky. She's here for a puppy. She's here for something else. I'm here for a puppy. You're third. You're going to get a puppy. And I thought, well, 
how wonderful that there's a census taker yeah. in the line. Because these puppies go fast. I know this from personal experience. Yes. Like, I, I, it's obviously great to adopt rescues, but just don't, don't make a Nobel Peace Prize for yourself if you adopt a puppy. <laughs> because the puppies will be gone within five minutes, one way or the other. Right. So she and I were talking away, and her name was Elaine, and we had a totally nice conversation. Another couple came up behind me. We said hello, but we were kind of deep in conversation about how hard it is to have puppies and that kind of thing. Well, as they open the door, puppy adoption, we all start walking in, and the couple behind me leapfrogged. And they got in front of me. So I'm kind of sitting there waiting to see how it's going to shake out. And they walk out with the third puppy. And they walk by me and they knew. I mean, they stood in line behind me for an hour. They knew perfectly well that I was ahead of them in line. And so they were just beeling it out. They got their puppy in there running for the door. They puppy jacked you. Yes. So I left. Well, I'm at my car, and Elaine comes running out of the Humane Society with this puppy under her arm, who I don't even think should have been out in public. I mean, I'm sure it's still, like, you know, susceptible. Right. And she said, um, you know, I've never had a puppy. I feel really, really nervous about it. Um, can I have your number? Because I had kind of acted like a big shot in line, like I know a lot about puppies. And so I said, you're going to do fine. She goes, well, can I have your number in case I ever need to call you? And I said, absolutely. Gave her my number. Well, Luke, she just texted me. She texted me, and she said, his name, the puppy's name is Jean. And she said, I can't take it. Jean is too much work. I don't think I can do it. I've been trying, and I can't do it. Will you take Jean? So I texted back and said, we're very interested in Jean. Let's meet up. Then she texted me back, and she said, unfortunately, I'm leaving for a work trip to China. So my boyfriend, Ben, is going to take care of it. I said, great. The next day, Ben texted me, can I bring Jean to you? I said, sure. He brought me Jean. Boo Bear, my spoiled rotten dog, is mean to Jean. They can't get along. Boo's hackles are up. He is not interested in this. And I, being the indulgent parent who created the monster Boo Bear. I think naming him Boo Bear was your first mistake. <laughs> so I, is well, he a breakfast cereal or a <laughs> small animal? So I'm like, Boo Bear, this is your new brother, Jean. Boo Bear's like, no, he isn't. He's not my new brother at all. I'm not interested. So after 30 minutes, we just felt like this is not going to work out. So I said to Ben... I'm really sorry, but we can't take Gene. And he said, no problem. Lots of people want puppies, and he left. Well, what just happened is Elaine texted me from China. How's it going with Gene? Ben told me that you adopted him, and uh, he was really nervous the first night, so I just want to know how he's doing with you. She thinks you guys have Gene in your possession right now? Yes, right now, from China. So I texted Ben, and I'm a grown-up. I can't believe I'm in this situation. So I texted Ben, and I said, Elaine just texted me from China and asked how it's going with Gene. Please advise. He wrote me back, just tell her it's going great. So basically, Gene is in the wind right now. There is a puppy that is unaccounted for, and you have to decide if you're going to let Ben perpetrate this lie with his girlfriend. Right. Or if you're going to tell her Ben did not leave the puppy with you, more or less probably destroying their relationship. Right. I feel like the relationships in the middle of this thing, I also feel like I'm, I don't know Elaine and Ben. You know what I mean? I feel like Maybe they're not I, good for each other. I shouldn't have this much power. I feel like I've been given a power that I did not earn. And normally I would love that. <laughs> but in this situation, I just feel I don't know what to do. I don't know if – because his whole thing – because I said – uh, you know, what do I do? And he said, just tell her it's okay. She's on a business trip. I don't want her to worry. And maybe, maybe he really genuinely loves Elaine and knows she tends to worry. I don't, I don't know what to do. It's a tough call. 
And it's not the only tough call that we're dealing with on this show because our producer slash drummer, Mr. Jim Brunberg, committed some petty larceny uh, during your time in Seattle, I understand? Yeah, I'm sorry, Seattle. What happened? Well, today, um, and I'm a little embarrassed because I'm the wrongdoer in this, clearly. Unlike, unlike your situations, I'm the, I'm Thank the bad you. guy. Yeah, because I wanted that fart to happen. <laughs> yeah. That's on me. <laughs> I did, I, actually, th- there was something related to that. I was in the, in the aisles in the basement, Barnes & Noble, just a mile up here, and I was there to buy one book, and I couldn't find it. But in the meantime, I had sort of absentmindedly grabbed another book off the shelves, thinking, oh, maybe I'll get this one instead. And then I got a distress call from, from home, and I was talking somebody through how to get their keys out of their car, because they, they, they were just stressing out because their keys were locked in their cars. And I walked out of the store, and I inadvertently stole uh, a copy of the new Paul McCartney biography, and I just <laughs> walked right out of the store with it. And I got about three blocks before I realized that I had stolen a, from a bookstore, which is a really bad thing to do. And, and I also crop dusted while I was in the store. Oh, yeah. That's Which is um, part of the reason I left yeah. in such a hurry. You're one strike away from doing life. Right. That's two of them right there. Well, we're such too, a professional show. We brought it all together. Right. You know? So the, 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 the question then, I guess, is do you send the money to Barnes & Noble? Do you go back in and, and admit your crime? Jen had an interesting idea in our pre-show meeting. Send the money to the artist. I didn't know the author was Paul McCartney. I feel like he probably doesn't need He's the money. He's not. It's a biography. Oh, it's a guy who wrote about Paul McCartney. Yes. Yeah. But so this is the other problem for Jim, too. He doesn't I, like the author. <laughs> I didn't like the author. Well, I mean, I was, it was too late to run back because I was late for, to get ready for the show tonight. So I started to read the book as I walked through the streets. So I'm reading Stolen a Book in the streets of, <laughs> of your great city. And then I decided I didn't like the author, and I don't want to read the rest of the book. Because <laughs> right. he's spinning it. So this, is, so this is where we're at. We clearly do not have the answers, but we, we hope you, this uh, beautiful public radio audience, does. So we have handed out some advice cards. We would like you, please, throughout the show, write down your advice to us. We will collect these up in a bit. At the end of the show, we will, we will get your wisdom. And, in fact, Jen will have to make a call. She's going to actually, on stage, send a text to China that either destroys a relationship or allows it to go on in some state of lies, basically. That's the plan coming up. Look forward to that uh, throughout the show. We're going to be checking in with our audience correspondent, Mr. Jason Rouse. He's making sure that everything is working out here in Audience Line. Jason, what's the scene out there, bud? The scene's pretty good, Luke. I I spoke to a few of our audience members as they came in. Met with Ted and Jordana Douglas from White Center. They're happy to be here. Uh, And uh, we got Clem and Stephanie. Was it Flozell from Squim? That's That's a fun town-sounding name. Right? Fun, fun to be from there. Liz and Darnell Hayden from Tuckwilla. They've okay. been responsive, it seems like, to what you guys have been laying down. Okay. I think Jim gave them a little trouble, but, you know, we've all been there, right? All right. Good. Well, they sound like a good bunch. Thank you very Sounds much. Good. Here we go with our uh, first guest. We've got a super funny young comic from Boston coming out here. We actually didn't even have him on our schedule for this weekend, but he's been performing around the festival and has been cracking so many people up that we did not want to miss the chance to have him on our show. So please welcome Alex Edelman to Livewire. I never know how long those will go on for, honestly. It's like, it could be a whole song. By the way, I think you really committed a crime against that small independent bookstore, Barnes & Noble. I think you should be really (laughs) terrible about yourself. This is a fun festival. I I just met... um, your technical advisor yesterday urged me to try kombucha for the first time. It was horrible. 
It's the worst. And as I'm drinking, you're not, Molly, Molly's urging me to drink kombucha. And I'm in the artist area, not to brag. And uh, I'm tipping it back. And as I'm drinking it, she was like, it's very popular with vegans. And I was like, that's not possible because this is something that's died. Like, this is clearly a corpse of something. Uh, it tastes like apple cider filtered through a graveyard. It's terrible. And I try to balance it out with, um, with a, uh, a, a donut, a chocolate donut. And here's something about the kombucha. I couldn't stop drinking this kombucha. I couldn't stop doing it. And I looked down at some point, and I had finished the kombucha, and I couldn't get through the donut. And I was like, who have I become? This is terrible. While I was trying kombucha for the first time, Nico Case uh, came up. And I was drinking kombucha at a festival in Seattle while Nico Case came up. And I'm like, I've reached peak whiteness. This is the whitest thing that's ever happened to anybody. Sorry, I was in a bit of a, uh, a tough spot. This is a few months ago. It was January. It's a while ago. I was in London, and I was waiting on this train platform in this part of London called Kingston, and these two girls stumbled onto the platform. And do you know how, like, some people dress with no regard for weather? It's January in London. They dressed for, like, July in Mexico. And it's like when they were getting ready the night. Someone was like, ladies, we're going to Kingston. And they were like, Jamaica? And... They're coming down this platform and they are so drunk and they are so loud and they are so clearly from New York City. And this British guy next to me looks at them and then he looks at me and he just goes, ugh. <laughs> Americans. And I didn't know what to say to that. So I just went with, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're coming down the platform and they're saying things like, it's so cold! And everyone else is like, yeah, that's why we wore jackets. And I'm praying, like, please don't notice me. And they stop right in front of me. And for a second, I was like, they can smell it. <laughs> and I realize I'm wearing an NYU hoodie. And one of them goes, you're from New York City! We're from New York City! Where in New York are you from? And I just didn't know. I was in this spot. I had no idea what to do. And I panicked. And I looked at them. And then I looked at everyone around me staring at me. Because the British guy was like, are you? <laughs> and I looked at everybody. And I just went, I signed. I'm sorry. I'm deaf. <laughs> and as I was doing it, I was like, this is wrong. You should not be doing this. You should not, and everyone backed off horrified, except for one of the girls who mistook, I'm sorry, I'm deaf more. Hey, I can't hear you. Yell at me. And she starts screaming, where are you from in New York? Where are you from? And then to the horrified looks of everyone, I swear to God, she went, why won't you answer me? And everyone's just, this British guy was getting angrier and angrier because in his mind, it's not one American being a to another dick American. To him, it's one dick American being a dick to a nice deaf British boy. <laughs> and so he says to the girl who backed off, he goes, hey, you better grab your mate. And she goes, Katie? Which I could have guessed, by the way. She went, Katie, he's deaf. And her friend went, what? Oh. And then she got right in my face and she went, Hey! 
I'm really sorry you're deaf. And I was offended as a fake deaf person. <laughs> and they wander off down the platform and everyone is standing there. Just because I'm not sure if you know a lot about British people, but they don't love tension. And people are doing the very British thing of like, maybe if you don't look at it, it will go away. <laughs> Except for the guy who got involved. He's just stood there like this. And after a minute, he looks down the platform at them. And then he looks at me and he just goes, I can't believe you got away with that. <laughs> and I said to him, I was like, how did you know? And he went, mate, you have your iPod headphones in. <laughs> All right, thanks so much. You guys have been cool. Wow. That's Alex Edelman. You're listening to Livewire Radio from PRI, Public Radio International. We're taping this show at the Bumbershoot Music and Arts Festival in Seattle, Washington. Our musical act this show just got done playing their Bumbershoot set, by which I mean mere minutes ago, they were standing on a stage in front of thousands and thousands of adoring fans. They put down their instruments, they walked on a small lawn over here to come indoors and play in front of about 150 quiet public radio fans. I'm sure they can feel the electricity. Please welcome Hey Marseille to Livewire.
Chris Haymar say, right here on Livewire Radio. They're gonna be back in just a few minutes. Thank you, guys. Our show this week is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, featuring foods free of hydrogenated fats, artificial colors, preservatives, and sweeteners, because like you, they only want food in their food. It seems reasonable. More information at wholefoodsmarket.com. All right, we need to check in with our uh, audience correspondent, Mr. Uh, Jason Rouse. You've been uh, polling the audience. Um, you've been talking to them. You've yeah. been uh, hearts-touching hearts, I think, is the way to describe what's been going on. I hope some of them were hearts, yeah. I touched base <laughs> with uh, Terry and Debbie O'Shea. They're here all the way from Ackworth, Georgia, you guys. Whoa. Came up to see Bumbershoot. Cool. They just, they just uh, earlier today, they were at the Ultimate Supreme Breakdance Competition. This is a middle-aged couple, you guys. And they got, they got, they saw some popping and some locking, some chair freezes, some pretty cool flair, and some power moves. So that's a big day for them. Right now, they're here with us now, and we're happy they're here. And Jen, actually, uh, there's an update for you about the beach balls that have yeah. been appearing no, during the I festival. No, I was, I want to know an update immediately. Okay, we've got a bolo out, um, and we've ID'd the culprit as uh, Andy Coleman. Now, he's a 39-year-old Bremerton resident. He's been showing up at various venues with these large white beach balls and turning them loose willy-nilly, I think is how it's been described. He has been uh, described as being about 5'10", 180. He's wearing flip-flops and a DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince t-shirt. And it looks to be that he's been stoned for about the last 12 days. So he's easy to ID, easy to spot. If you see him, contact security. And Jen, you know, as always, if we see him... We'll alert you first. Yeah, what is the... Thanks, Jason. What is your hang-up about this beach ball situation? I don't understand why when I go to a concert, I have to be worried about getting hit in the side of the head with the ball. Because if you get hit in the side of the head with the beach ball, you're the jerk. Somehow you're the one that's not cool and you're a dork. So I'm trying to watch the band, and yet I am constantly aware of the fact that this beach ball is being kept up in the air like we're seven. I have the exact opposite experience. I live for the beach ball. What? I spend the whole time thinking about, is the beach ball getting near me? If the beach ball comes, how do I hit it? How do I look masculine? How do I look like a badass hitting the beach ball? If the beach ball misses me, I feel like my life isn't going the way it should. That's the pro I mean, this is exactly what I'm saying. You're actually hoping that this is going to be your moment to shine. I am pretty sure it won't be. You not, not yours me. or mine. You have not seen me hit a beach ball. <laughs> It's incredible, is all I'm going to say about that. You're listening to Livewire Radio from PRI, and we're talking about making tough calls tonight. But one thing that is not a tough call is subscribing to our podcasts. It's easy. It's free. You know, as I think about it, it's actually free and easy. And uh, if you need something more complicated than that, you're just being unnecessarily difficult. So head over to livewireradio.org to find out more. Uh, next up, we got a native Seattleite and Pulitzer Prize winner. Tim Egan's books include The Big Burn, Short Nights of the Shadow Catcher, and The Worst Hard Time, which won the National Book Award. That's all. Just the National Book Award. Sure. I also once accosted him in an Italian restaurant to congratulate him on something, and he looked mildly terrified because we had never met. I'm hoping we can spend the next 10 minutes working through that incident and also chatting about his amazing career. Please welcome Tim Egan to Livewire. Hi there, Tim. Welcome to the program. I'm a little leery being with a book stealer, a <laughs> puppy manipulator, and a fart denier. You know, 
I just want to see the birth certificate, Tim. <laughs> right, right. That's all. Okay. Just all do you do you remember somebody coming up to you in Cafe Lago and saying, "Hey, congrats on I think you won the Chautauqua Prize." Yeah. And on that day, I don't know what trade I was reading that was covering the Chautauqua Prize, but you were having dinner and I just came up and said, "I just want to tell you a great job on your Chautauqua Prize." And you looked like you were reaching for your mace. <laughs> do you remember this event? I actually do, and this is now that you mentioned it, I know it was you, and you were not on your meds that day, so that yeah. was. Uh, but you uh, didn't. Now, you now, didn't I, now I remember the thing, but I didn't know who it was, of course. Now you, you can know. let your night terrors right, go just, because you actually weren't in danger. Exactly, yeah. it's nice we to know that completed that loop. <laughs> well, I'm I'm so excited to have you on the show. I've been a huge fan, uh, as are many of our listeners, of your writing in the New York Times and also. Your books. We're, our our theme for this hour is tough calls, and you recently wrote a piece in the New York Times about what is maybe the ultimate tough call if you live in the Northwest, which is somehow making peace with the fact that we live on top of a subduction zone that could create the greatest natural disaster in North American history. Yeah, it's basically you know we're well, they have this fault that they figured out about thirty years ago that California is not going to be where the big one is, but the really big one, bigger than any earthquake in recorded history, bigger than the Alaska quake of 64, um, is, is right under Seattle. I mean, there's a Seattle fault, and then it goes out and it meets the two plates at the edge there. And we've sort of known about this for a while, but then the New Yorker wrote this piece this summer called The Really Big One, and it made everybody nervous and think about it. And the, the sort of takeaway quote in the article was, everything west of I-5 would be toast. So define toast. Mm-hmm. Um, now, she, the author of that article later took back the word toast. She said, well, I probably shouldn't have English used toast. English muffin. Right, maybe. right, right, right. <laughs> Worst case scenario. A bagel. Yeah. You know, right, old bread, something, something like that. So, you know, you've got these, these two subduction zones. They haven't moved since 1701, I think. And when they move, it's going to be catastrophic. They know it's going to move. So the question is, what are the odds? How do you live with this? So I, I'm crawling under my 110-year-old house. I'm looking at the footing, and I'm thinking, you know, I, there's been three earthquakes in the 20th century. My house just came through not even a hairline fracture. I'm thinking I'll be okay. But then you read this thing that if you live on a cliff now, you'd have waterfront property. If you live on waterfront property, you'd be on a cliff. And you can see this in Anchorage, by the way, if you ever go and see and look at what happened there after their 64 quake. So you know, I... I buttress down my house i got put the latches on and my wife and i went to costco and got you know all the earthquake stuff and i go, yeah, I got this rei stuff i can just go down to the lake and use my filter um but then i thought this is crazy after a while i just have to make my peace with this that you know so so what are the odds so the odds are there's a 10 to 15 percent chance of this worst ever worst ever natural disaster they say in north american history happening in the next hundred years now, there's another way to put it, which is what I could live with, which is that and they, they did do this in the follow-up to the New Yorker article. So that means only there's a 1 in 300 chance on any given year. And that seems like a fairly good gamble. I think I'm okay with that. So I, I sort of made my piece after I got all my Costco water and all my REI stuff. And just get some Kirkland brand jeans just right, to be right. safe. You know, I, I need I, to strap these right. on. I got, you know, I've got decent vino in the cellar. Yeah. I think I'd be okay. If I had water from property, well, you know, now it's... <laughs> I'd have waterfront property. So you just, it's really strange though, because for about um, three weeks, I was looking at the city so differently. Everywhere I went, especially on the freeway, I was imagining, you know, this thing collapsing. I was in a theater like this, and I was imagining the roof cave in. Um, Everywhere I went, I thought, you know, what if that big one happened at that moment? And, And that's no way to live. 
Let yeah. me. Um, we're talking to Tim Egan, uh, writer of a number of books, also writes for the New York Times. Uh, not to uh, sort of dwell on the negative, but we also had here in Washington State the historically worst summer of wildfires. Um, I think since they started keeping track of that sort of stuff. You wrote an amazing book, The Big Burn, about a huge three million acre mm-hmm. fire in uh, 1910. That was the biggest wildfire in recorded history. Three million acres, an area the size of Kentucky burns in a weekend. Now, to put that in perspective, eight million acres have burned this summer so far across the U.S., and it's a huge fire year. Washington State had its biggest fire ever. So the Big Burn was something, when I was a little kid growing up, I, I loved smoke jumpers. They were absolutely my hero. I'd go to western Montana where I learned to fish and camp and hike, and, you know, I'd see these guys in their yellow shirts, and they're going to put 90 pounds worth of stuff on, drop, jump out of an airplane into a vertical slope, and they were, they were really just heroic to me. So I wrote this book about the the iconic fire that gave them sort of their creation myth because that gave birth to the Forest Service was then this fledgling agency and they were going to destroy it. Um, but it, in the same way that earthquakes got me thinking, you know, what would it be like, um, I, I don't look at the woods in the same way anymore because what's happening is just two-degree change in climate change is enough to cause this beetle infestation I don't know how many of you have been out in the woods lately and seen how many dead standing trees there are. There are something like 20-plus million acres throughout the West of nothing but dead standing timber because the winters haven't been hard enough to kill the beetles. The beetles then kill the trees, so you've got you know, fuel. And so I look at these things, and I wonder you know, what, what the future holds for that because climate change has made that, all that difference in wildfires. Now, we are a little better at fighting wildfires, but it still is a fool's errand. I mean, it's, it's sort of this thing where you think it's hubristic. You mean we shouldn't be fighting wildfires because they are nature trying to thin out the underbrush? Or what do you mean when no, you say it's hubristic? No, I'll tell you, the one thing that really bothers me, because it happened in the Big Burn, it happened in the, in the fire that the great Norman McLean wrote about in his book, Young Men and Fire, and it happened 10 years ago in Washington State, and it happened this summer in our state, is that people shouldn't die for other people's summer homes. And so many... Um, so much wildfire fighting right now is at what they call the urban wildland interface where homes are right up against the national forest and they would otherwise let parts of that burn but they don't because people are screaming to their congressman, oh my summer home's going to go up or oh it's right up against so they throw a lot of manpower at that and you inevitably lose it. I'm not saying we shouldn't fight fires, we should certain ones and there's others that you just can't stop them because they're part of the natural cycle. Do you think that all of uh, this But Can I just say one quick thing about this? Fires, earthquakes, and how I made my peace, there is no such thing as a safe place. I mean, you could go anywhere in the United States. You're going to be in hurricane zone. You're going to be in tornado zone. You're going to be in flood zone. You think about it. You think about the Gulf Coast. You think about the East Coast. You think about Florida, all of which is going to be underwater within 25 years. The reason it's so beautiful here is because of all those geologic forces. It's so gorgeous here because of the, the land is still alive. It's still active. It's still shaping. Hmm. Tim Egan, ladies and gentlemen. Read his books. Read his writing in the New York Times. All right. Our next guest is maybe most well-known for co-founding a little program you might have heard of called The Daily Show. But she's also a stand-up comic TV personality and activist. She's here at Bumbershoot heading up the Lady Parts Justice League which is a gig I also applied for and did not get. Please welcome Liz Winstead to Livewire. Hello. 
bass has got some scary stick on the end of it. The stage is, uh, there's a lot going on. I'm glad you made it up here safely. How is your Bumbershoot Festival going so far? Really great. I, I love when I bring my Lady Parts Justice team into a space and we do comedy and it just shuts down the feminists aren't funny thing and it's so great. It's super gratifying. What actually happens when the League of Extraordinary Lady Parts gets together? That's not actually the name. It's the uh, uh, Lady, Lady Parts Justice League, but you can call it whatever you want. So a couple things happen. Uh, one thing that happens is that we try to expose people who we feel like are contributing immensely to the erosion of reproductive access in this country. So we like to humiliate them like they're flashers. <laughs> right? I think it's important. <laughs> So we do that through uh, comedy videos. We do that through live performance. We do that through um, calling them out when we can when we're on TV. And then we also uh, we have a website that is really great, ladypartsjustice.com. Uh, That's an interactive map of the United States. And you can click on a state and see a video about one of the horrible laws in your state, which, by the way, Oregon is the only state that has not done any curbing of Roe v. Wade in our country. So yay, Oregon. Congrats, oh, Anya. Yeah. Um, and then you can see five scary facts about your state that we update all the time. So if you're like, what's going on constantly in the world of reproductive access in America, you can go to ladypartsjustice.com and find out. You uh, are often introduced, as you were on this show, as being the co-founder of The Daily Show. That is that something that uh, you appreciate being associated with all the time, or are you? do you feel like that has come to define you? Well, I'll tell you what. If somebody wants to define me as co-creating The Daily Show, there's worse things people could define you as, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Like the person who farted in your elevator, for example. Yeah. What are you defined as that? That but, was actually Madeline Smithberg. Oh, my God. I doubt it. She would never fart in an elevator. Um, no, I find, you know, here's what's really cool is that when you creatively do something and it was totally fueled by instinct. It was not fueled by skill. I created that show based on a passion that I had for the way the media was in a complete state of awful uh, and that, you know, they were just kind of in bed with politicians and everything. And so when you launch it and then you watch it grow and it stays in its basic form, but like John took it and made it this amazing thing, that's the best thing you can hope for as a creative person is to be able to trust your instinct. And it makes you a little bit more brave and it makes you a little bit more um, willing to take risks. And I feel like that is what it means to be a creative person. So I feel really excited about the fact that it's sort of like I, I, you know, had this kid and then I raised it, and then John took it, and it went to Harvard, and it was awesome. So that's why I feel like my role was in it. Yeah. All right, hold that thought. Uh, we got to take a very short break. We're going to come back with more with Liz Winstead here on Livewire Radio from PRI. We are coming to you from the Bumbershoot Music and Arts Festival in Seattle, Washington. This podcast is brought to you by ErgoDepot.com, who are not kidding around when it comes to making you healthier. There are healthier ways to sit, and they've got them all. Sit-stand seating, saddle seats, kneeling chairs. If you've got to sit, shouldn't you sit healthier? We sure think so. Find out more by visiting ErgoDepot.com. Welcome back to LiveWire. We're talking to Liz Winstead here on Livewire Radio, coming to you from PRI. We're at the Bumbershoot uh, Music and Arts Festival. You did grow up, uh, I read, in a pretty traditional Catholic home, and a lot of the stuff that uh, you've really uh, made statements about and made really the centerpiece of your career at this point uh, probably 
doesn't go over great with the more conservative elements of your family. How do you, how do you guys talk about things without feelings getting hurt? A lot of people, even They're in this dead. room, that's They're it? Dead. That's the answer? They're dead. Uh, no, my dad <laughs> was said it sort of perfectly. Uh, I think that my dad was secretly excited that um, he had a bunch of crazy progressive and How many children. kids in your family? I'm five. I'm the youngest. And he said to me, dang it, I raised you to have an opinion, and I forgot to tell you it was supposed to be mine. <laughs> so he copped to the fact that he, he was really excited that he raised these people who had thoughts, and he just, our thoughts were just very different. You know, the conservative element, actually, when I say they died, but my, both of my parents are passed away, and my siblings are very similar to me. So it kind of works out well. I think that you just, a lot of times you shouldn't ask for permission when you believe in something in your heart. I think you just need to believe it in your heart, and I think you'll get a lot more respect if you actually are authentic than try to please people. But how do you do that without alienating other people, or is that just, in your mind, their problem if it alienates them? Uh, literally, how I really do it was, I'm a pretty well-rounded person, and so if somebody else brings up politics in my family, I'm like, hey, look who's being the ass now. It isn't me. I could talk about gardening. I could talk about music. I could talk about cooking. In fact, I think I made this for you. Why don't you eat it instead of challenging me? So, that doesn't sound passive-aggressive no, like, at all. No, not at all. all. Mm -mm. Sounds no, like another, but I, like, another there, Thanksgiving at the Winstead It is another Thanksgiving estate. at the Winstead. But no, if you are well-rounded, you can talk about many things. And then if the politics comes up and that person brings it up, I feel like morally superior that I didn't bring it up. So smugness, Ab abject smugness. How's that feel? <laughs> super, super, super passive aggressive. You're right. I cop to it. That's true. But, but in the Midwest, Scandinavians are so passive aggressive anyway. It's like this is the, this is wraps up my family in a nutshell. I was home in Minneapolis a couple years ago doing something for Minnesota Public Radio, and they had this speaker series where they brought in for four nights four different speakers, and they brought in Hillary Clinton, Desmond Tutu, Jonathan Alter, and me. <laughs> wow. So a week before the thing, my mom calls me on the phone, and she goes, yeah, hi, you know, I'm just looking at an ad for, for, for that thing you're coming here to do. You're the only one I've never heard of. Thank you. That keeps you grounded. Boom. Thank Liz you. Winstead, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right, you are listening to Livewire Radio, coming to you from the Bumbershoot Music and Arts Festival. This week, our show is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, with 38 nonstops from Portland, and this winter adding Austin, Texas, where our little radio show happens to air on KUTFM. Hey, Austin, come see a live show sometime. It could be the beginning of our country's first ironic mustache exchange program. It'd be good to see that happening. Build some bridges. Alaska Airlines, keeping you connected nonstop. More information at alaskaair.com. Okay. We're running late on time, but we got to get our announcer slash audience correspondent, Jason Rouse, out here. He has got some advice for the tough calls that we've needed to make on this show. Yeah. These now, are let good. me just uh, let me remind any uh, latecomers to the radio show. So at the beginning of the program, we, we laid out some problems. Uh, apparently, my smelly elevator situation, where I stepped into an elevator that had someone else's cloud in it, that was the most interesting because that's been referenced by every guest on the show. <laughs> I didn't know whether I should call attention to it or if I should just try to play it off. Uh, Jennifer Andrews is uh, dealing with a situation where she's being asked to lie about the whereabouts of a puppy to keep a relationship together. One of the members is in China. 
And uh, <laughs> our drummer and producer, Jim Brunberg, uh, accidentally stole a kind of middling Paul McCartney biography <laughs> yeah. and wants to know if he should take it back to Barnes & Noble or give him the money or what. So the audience has weighed in, Jason. What have they said? They've weighed in, and this is where we landed. Jim, you should put the book back in the store with a post-it note on it reading, I stole this and you couldn't stop me, attached to the cover. <laughs> wow. A, they're like a reverse shoplifting. Yeah. Sneak the stolen and item they, back they, into the store. These do have the full weight and effect of, of a judicial order, so yeah. that is what you must do. Okay. okay. All right. Luke? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You should have said, don't pretend you don't enjoy it just because you've been on TV. You're welcome. <laughs> That was because one of the people in the elevator was on the TV show The Office. I should have... I, why didn't I think of that? It's an aggressive crowd. I think it's because they all found out they're about to die. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like... Doesn't mic- matter anymore. Facing they're, death will do something to you. They're just mic dropping their way through yeah. life. What? You like it. Ring Boom. a fire. This is what I do. All right. This is the biggie. Jen, do you have your cell phone? Yes, Are you right there. ready to... Okay, because like this is... This is, this about is not happen. just a, a, a radio bit. This is actually the... Future of a relationship is riding Hangs on this. In the balance. Okay, Jason, what does say, the audience say about Jen's dilemma? Jen, yeah. just tell the chick in China that you don't have the dog. Explain the situation to her because, honestly, you just met them. Don't overthink this. You will be doing this chick a favor. And then there's a P.S. My 14-year-old niece wrote this. It is still appropriate advice, however, and correct. <laughs> what does the audience think about that? Should Jen yeah. tell this woman... Yeah, it's pretty unanimous that she needs to blow the whistle. Who has a name? Elaine. Yeah. Elaine. Elaine. Can, do you this want is a 14 send, year old. This is do you want to, we're going to get kicked out of this theater if right. you don't send this text to Elaine All right. very fast. All right, here it's I go. Really happening. I don't have the dog. Sorry. That's what I'm going to say. Okay. Gene. I don't have Gene. I'm actually really nervous. I know. Yeah. I'm like, oh, oh, man. Also, do you have like unlimited data to China? That makes me nervous. <laughs> That's, is that, Done. Done. All right. Message sent. Thank you to this Livewire audience. It's great advice. I feel better about everything. And I'm going to feel even better when we get Hey Marseille back out here. Oh 
It's Hey Marseille. Some of our favorite lads in the whole land. Right here on Livewire. Thank you so much to them. Thanks to all of you. Thanks to Jen Flash Andrews. That's our show. We'll see you next week. Well, well, well. Another edition of Livewire in the books. Here I am once again backstage. It's where this whole thing started, huh? Um, that was uh, that was a heck of a show, I gotta say. And uh, I gotta say who helped make it all happen. Liz Winstead, Tim Egan, and Alex Edelman. Big thanks to them for showing up and being hilarious and uh, thought-provoking. Also, the music of Hey Marseille was amazing, and we appreciated them just wandering um, <laughs> over right after they got done with their big fancy concert to all those people. You can still hear the music going on behind me. Um, also, want to say thanks to our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Alaska Airlines. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Courtney Hameister is our head writer, and she's also a producer. Jim Brunberg is a producer, a member of our house band, along with Dave Jorgensen. Jason Rouse is associate producer and part of our writing team, along with Alex Falcone and Sean McGrath. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Our recordist and mixer is Jason Powers. Our marketing manager is Laura Haddon, and Laura Masterson is our operations manager. Big thanks to Jesse Friedman for all his help during these Bumbershoot shows. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Meyer Memorial Trust, the Oregon Arts Commission, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Maybell Clark McDonald Fund, the Oregon Community Foundation, Work for Art, the Multnomah County Culture Coalition, and listeners like you fine people. Special thanks to everybody here at Bumbershoot for inviting us to join their big party. Chris Weber, J.T. Sapp, and Jackie Wade. Here at the Charlotte Martin Theater, thanks to our stage manager, Jen Rodvold, and house engineer, Jeremy Davidson, who did such an amazing job. For more information about the show or becoming a member of Livewire, visit livewireradio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank, and we will see you again next week. PRI Public Radio International. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait. Actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show, so you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time, because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review. And if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast. 